Our pericope of scripture this morning is the book of James, chapter 5. And we will be reading the first 13 verses. My text will be verses 7 through 12. And I will not be rereading those. Maybe you want to keep your Bibles open to that passage as we go through those verses. James chapter 5, beginning that verse 1. Go to now. It really means pay attention. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Our text. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not. Neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. So far the reading of God's word this morning May the Lord bless it to our hearing. You'll notice there the first six verses of this chapter. James is sharply rebuking the wicked rich who are abusing the poor in the church. And now in verses 7 through 12, James shifts his focus 
from the persecutors to those who are persecuted. Moving from condemning the abuse of rich now to comforting those who are abused. But he's not only going to comfort those who are abused, he is also going to instruct these suffering folks what should their attitude be as they live here in the midst of this world with all kinds of persecution and oppression? So the theme of this section of Scripture is defining how to be patient in trials. How to be patient in trials or difficulties or when one is oppressed. Trouble is an inevitable part of life. Because we live in a fallen, cursed world. Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have tribulation. Paul warns the Christians in Rome of the certainty of their suffering in this world. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So he's making their comparison. Be willing to suffer because look at the comfort that is ours, the glory that's going to be ours. Or we go to Peter. We read in 1 Peter chapter 5, These words, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not strange. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Or you may think of the Beatitudes in Matthew, where Christ warns us about persecution and the blessing of it. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. And so be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Expect persecution. We think of the last years by those who have left us as, as a denomination. What nasty names and threats and things were hurled at us. Don't be surprised about it. Don't be surprised if there are today those in the church have negative attitudes toward you or say things against you. Expect it. Because we are all sinners living in a sinful world, and it's going to take place. And so Jesus told his disciples in John 15, they will also persecute you because they persecuted me. 
James is wise enough to realize that as believers, we might react wrongly to persecution or oppression. We might get so easily angry that we try to throw the barbs right back at them again or slander their good reputation. Those who face those trials and persecution risk losing patience. How long, Lord? That's the saints underneath the throne. How long? Losing patience with our circumstances, lose patience with other people, or even lose patience against God. If God's going to do this, shall I serve him? James exhorts, no, James commands in our text, his readers, be patient in the midst of persecution. That word, patience. The Greek word is a compound noun. Comes from two different words, meaning long anger or long-tempered. How are you going to react with those circumstances, what those people say about you or to you or demand of you? What are, you, are you going to be patient with God himself? Because all of our circumstances of life are planned by God. Patience. You see, patience with people is just as important as patience in our circumstances. Patience is that righteous standard that God expects of all believers. That's the way we have to conform to our world that we live in. Patience with the circumstances, with other people, and even with God himself in his ways. No matter what trial we face. In these verses, there's six very practical perspectives enabling God's people to be patient in trials. The first one, which comes out very clearly in this passage from James, is anticipate the Lord's coming. So if we would look at James chapter 5 here, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Or in other words, be patient because the Lord is coming. So, first of all, anticipate the Lord's coming. It's soon. Second of all, recognize the Lord's judgment. For that judgment is brought out, first of all, to those wicked rich that were oppressing the poor in the church but also that judgment of God is brought up here in this passage. The Lord is going to try our works. Be patient. The Lord is coming, and he will vindicate his saints. So here on earth, you might have to go through terrible things. People say awful things to you. The Lord hears, the Lord knows, and the Lord will vindicate his people. Thirdly, how can we somehow be patient in adversity? And James says, look at, look at history. Look at the prophets of God. Look at their affliction and how patient they were. Fourthly, anticipate how we can be patient by 
understanding the Lord's blessing. It is those who suffer will be crowned with glory. Fifthly, realize the Lord's purpose. You and I might not choose a lot of the circumstances we have to go through or the trials. God is wise, and God has a purpose behind it because as clay, we are being molded. We are being fitted for our service in the new heavens and the new earth. And sixthly, be patient because the Lord is in control. He is sovereign. And now consider the Lord's character. Why does he do these things to us? So in sharp contrast to the judgment on those wicked rich in the church comes now his encouragement and warning to those who are oppressed. Patience. Patience unto or because the coming of the Lord, notice with me, that patience that is urged or is commanded. Number two, the examples given. And then thirdly, what follows from it. Why is patience necessary? Well, because this life is going to be very trying. As I said earlier, troubles will be in our lives. We read, don't we, in Psalm 90, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are 70, and by reason of strength, 80 years. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow. Labor and sorrow in this world. James writes to those who were suffering in the church at that time. Oppressed and persecuted by their Jews, the fellow Jews, those who did not become Christians. Oppressed also by Rome. What oppression they had to go through. Those troubles are real. And the troubles that you and I are going to go through in this life are real. No matter the number of days or years we might have to suffer. You probably know of a person that is suffering from cancer for several years. Others whose loved one is in the hospital being cared for. Many troubles. They are real. And whether we marry for better or for worse, whether in our lives we enjoy health or have to suffer illness, or whether in this life we are prosperous or always penny, pinching pennies because there's not very much to go around, there's trouble. So what is this patience that we are being commanded to have? Number one, it is not stoic indifference. So that you say, well, whatever happens, happens, and I can't do anything about it, so I'm going to just keep a stiff upper chin. No, it's not stoic indifference. 
It is not what will be, will be. But the word patience could be probably best understood by the word long-suffering. You suffer at the hands of others, or maybe even at the hands of God, for a long time, and you do not react angrily. Because you know that suffering is followed by glory, isn't it? Peter writes, I exhort you as an elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. And perhaps you say, well, how long do I have to suffer these things? And over and over the scripture says, what is, make the comparison, put in the balances, what is the difference between that short little while that you live here in the world, 70 or 80 years perhaps, compared to the eternal glory of being with Christ Jesus in heaven and the new earth? It's minuscule, very small, patience. So we are being exhorted not only to be strong in faith, but also strong and sound in patience as well. Titus 2, Paul writes, Aged men, be sound in doctrine, in charity, and virtue, or patience. As a church, we quite often have stressed that be strong or sound in doctrine, and it's good. But no, it's just as important be sound also in love, Paul says. Love for one another, love for the Lord, and in patience. There's two different words for patience. The one has the idea of being patient in circumstances. The other word has more the idea of being patient with other people. Isn't it quite often the loved one in your own home that you dare to angrily respond to where you wouldn't do it in public. So it begins right in the home with those the closest, that's the closest neighbor we have, isn't it? A husband and his wife, parents and their children. Be patient. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly charity. If these things be in you and abound, Peter says, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of James, isn't it? Being fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Because the whole book is written around what is true faith and what is counterfeit faith. What is living faith and what is a dead faith. And patience is one of those attributes of a wonderful faith. Genuine faith. God worked faith. What is the nature of that patience? It is, beloved, the submission of our whole soul to these things, the circumstances or people that God puts in our lives. We are like the Lord Jesus Christ to say, I wouldn't want it, really. Let this cup be pass away from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. How can we do that? God's will that my loved one is sick? God's will that my little child died? God's will that I lost a job? God's will that others are falsely accusing me of doing something? How can that be? Well, beloved, let's look at a few texts. Psalm 39, verse 9, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. And I use that passage because there is, with the Pentecostals especially, those who say, God doesn't want trouble in your life. God doesn't want you to be sick. God doesn't want you to be opposed. In other words, they see God as standing by the sideline, sadly, suffering with us and saying, I can't do anything about it. And they would say, that's all from the devil. The psalmist says, no. Even David in his affliction, when Shimei cursed him, when he's running away from his son Absalom, and David's sword bearer wants to take care of him. David says, no. No, why not? Because he knew that affliction was coming to him because of his own sins, huh? The problems in his family were there because of his sins, especially with other wives, adultery, and murder. God's hands. We submit completely to it because we see God's overarching sovereignty. Job 9, verse 12, Behold, he hath taken away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? I love the one verse in one of the texts, the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. When things happen in our life, quite often we want to react and say, why God? Change this, God. Be still and know that I am God. We are able to submit to these circumstances and those people who are hurting us because God does all of this in his own justice. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. When every curse was pronounced, the God's people had to say, Amen. That if it came to pass, God would be righteous to inflict it upon them. How were they able to do that? Because Christ was in their loins, but God would be just in doing it. So we shouldn't say, God, I don't deserve this. Oh. 
If God gave you and me what we deserve, let me tell you, it would be a terrible life. So not only is God just, but God is full of mercy. Ezra 9, verse 13, thou hast punished us less than we deserved. If God would really afflict us for all of our sins, we would be destroyed. Then God's people would have stayed in Babylon, never come out again. We would all suffer in hell. But God is full of mercy, and he is very faithful, isn't he? Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, he says, that I might keep thy statutes. That I might be threshed as wheat, that the chaff will fall away. God's wisdom. Isaiah 30, God is a God of judgment. Too just to do us any wrong. Too kind and too wise to do us harm. As we read in James 4, verse 6, God giveth more grace. Submit, because it is God who brings us about. Not only submit, but even rejoice. Bearing it with the very strength that God himself gives to us by his word and by his spirit. Rejoicing because we know that God does these things for our good, for our profit. The strengthening of our faith are shaping us. And so by God's grace, we persist in faith and in obedience in the midst of these trials. We do not react as some would. If God does this, who wants to serve him any longer? No, no, no. God is good, God is wise, God is sovereign, God is just. Bow down and worship him. And the goal there is, be patient in this affliction, oppression, because the Lord is coming. That's the child of God's hope, isn't it? We long for that. God has promised that. Hope. Hope so that we don't try to escape out of our lives. We don't say, I want to die. I want to take my life in my hands. No. We need to be content with God's way. Patience urged. Psalm 30, verse 5 is a beautiful verse. Weep, weeping may endure for a night. Joy cometh in the morning. That's how short our suffering really is in this world compared to eternity. Suffering. Joy comes in the morning. When Jesus Christ comes and takes us home, and when Jesus Christ comes at the end of the world, and we serve him in the new heavens and the new earth. Patience. Commanded of God's people. That is the test of a genuine faith over against counterfeit faith. Anyone, anyone can be glad when they're prosperous. Anyone can be glad when everything seems to be going their way. But what about when the Lord tests us? Be still and know that I am God. Notice second of all with me then in our sermon outline, the examples given. There is first of all verse 7 then. 
Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. A farmer can plow, can disk his field, he can plant the crop faithfully, he can spray for weeds, but the farmer is completely at God's mercy when it comes to sending enough sunshine and sending the rain. He has to wait for those things. Now there are those who want to take that husbandman and apply it right away to us. I think it's wrong. The husbandman here, I believe, is none other than God himself. God is long-suffering. He doesn't do anything rashly. But God is so patient with his people. Patient even with the coming of Christ Jesus. Peter brings that out, right? The Lord is not slow concerning his promise. What then? But the Lord is slow because in the church, he wants all of his saints to be born and to be saved. And the Lord will not come again until all his elect are born and are saved. And so the church continues to suffer in this world. Or let me use another example of God being long-suffering. Boys and girls, you remember, hopefully from catechism, a diagram maybe on the whiteboard. Hey, I caught my age. I would have said blackboard, but it's the whiteboards now. Do you remember that? With the four S's? Sin. Suffering. Sorrow. Salvation. Sin. God brings suffering to correct them. Many times during the period of the judges, they would have to suffer sometimes 20, 22 years before there was finally sorrow for their sin. And when there was sorrow, then the Lord saved them. He delivered them out of it. Why did the Lord wait while those Philistines or the Moabites or the Midianites would come and invade the land and eat all the good stuff and the poor people are starving? The Lord is long-suffering with his people. He suffers with them, but he knows that they need that kind of correction. They need to be sorry for their sins, confess their sins, and then he forgives them and delivers them. The Lord is very patient in his work. God waits for the time of the harvest of his elect. And so then, with that example of God, verse 8 says, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Again, the same reason, the same hope. But he says, as God is so long-suffering with his people, with his church, be ye also patient. Now, over against being patient, Notice some of the negatives that come in our passage. Verse 9, grumbling really, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. 
That same judgment that is against those wicked rich people, that same punishment is going to come to God's saints if they grumble and complain all the time. Isn't that Israel's sin during the whole wilderness wandering? Always, always grumbling against God, grumbling against Moses and Aaron, complaining. That is not how God's people are to act in the trials of one's life. Not filled with self-pity. Poor me, poor me. Rather, God has done it. I submit. But there's another negative attitude given, and that is in verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and let your nay be nay, lest ye fall. That verse almost seems like it's stepping outside of the example here, but isn't that the case? I think of Job. What was Job's wife's reaction to the suffering that God allowed Job to go through in his life. You remember, boys and girls? Lot's wife, instead of being a good help, make a meet for Job, she said, curse God. Curse God and die. Lot's wife said, no, 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 no. Don't swear. Don't act out that kind of anger against what God is bringing about in your life. Submit. Submit. Cursing is, and grudging one another, is really trying to take heaven or God down from what he's doing. Or trying to build strength to one's feeble arguments. This isn't fair for me. That is not how we are to act. So what are some positive examples then? If that's not the way to act. Well, verse 10. James says, Brethren, what a nice term he uses for the church. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And now James, that aged saint, take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Hmm, take the prophets. Boys and girls, take a trip with me. Take a trip back in history was not Abel a wonderful prophet to his brother Cain. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was not. He's angry. Abel says, do you have a right to be angry? Did you bring a blood sacrifice as God has shown us what sacrifices should be? Or did you try to bring the best that you could do? What did Abel get for all his patient instructing of his brother. Cain killed him. Cain killed him. Or Enoch. 
he walked and he talked with God, and from the book of Job, we know that he testified against the wickedness of that world. What did he get? For 365 years, he had to suffer hatred until God finally just pulled him right out of the earth up to heaven. Let's talk about Abraham. God made a promise. Hey, Abram, come along with me. I'm going to show you a land that I'm going to give to you. And so Abram leaves his home in Ur. He's there in Haran for a while with his father. And he finally moves on again when God tells him to when he's 99. What does he get? He did not ever own any more than one acre that he bought for a sepulcher for his wife, Sarah patiently waited for the Lord to fulfill that promise even though he wouldn't see it with his own eyes. Or, let's go to Joseph. You remember who he is, boys and girls, don't you? Joseph, the dreamer, who's given wonderful visions of the stalks of grain bowing down to him or the stars of the sky bowing down to him, and he tells his brothers about it, and he's hated and they sell him out to the Midianites. And there he is in Egypt serving the Lord, and he's done such a good job as a servant that he's made the master of all the slaves in the house, and Potiphar's wife wants to entrap him in sexual sin, and Joseph said, no, 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 I can't do that. What does he get for it? In jail, in jail, suffering, there he does such a fine job. He tells the dreams to the baker and the butler. What does he get for it? They forget all about him again. Patience. Patience in affliction. Moses. For 40 years, he is groomed there in Egypt. And rather than wanting the riches of Egypt, he identifies with his people. And so when an Egyptian is hurting a fellow Israelite of his, he hauls off and he kills that Egyptian. Surely the people are going to follow me now. I'm going to deliver them. What does Moses get for it? Forty years out in the wilderness taking care of some dumb sheep out there. Moses leads God's people out of Egypt. What does he get? Lots of thank yous grumbling and complaining, and yet Moses even intervenes for them time after time. Don't destroy them. Destroy me. Patience and affliction. Israel, coming out of the land of Egypt. They go south instead of north. Canaan is north. Forty years, they're going to wander in that wilderness because of their sin. They need to be instructed at Mount Sinai. David made a king, anointed by Samuel, and what does he get? King Saul is seeking his life, and he's an outcast for a good part of his life. Go through the rest of the prophets. Isaiah is told that the people will not believe in the word that he brings. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He is shunned by the king, hated by God's people, because he brings the word of God. Elijah, he brings the word of God that they have to repent. 
and wicked Ahab and Jezebel seek to kill him. Micaiah. Or finally, Zechariah, killed by King Josiah. Take the prophets, James says. That's where the Holy Spirit. So you and I can take all this history of Christianity, look at how God's people, by God's grace, are able to endure the trials and difficulties and difficult people in this world. Patience. But even there, he's not done. After he talks about taking, take hold of the prophets, then he says, and behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Job. All of his animals killed one day. His sons and daughters all die in the house. And his body filled with sickness, boils. And if that's not enough, he's got three miserable friends who accuse him that he's a wicked person. And that's why the trouble has come. Boy, Job, you sure were patient with those three friends in answering them. Patient with your wife, who's supposed to be helping you in your salvation, living like a Christian. Instead, she tells you to curse God. Oh, Satan brought much affliction in Job's life, but never did Job curse God. Yes, he did sin when he cursed the day that he was born, but patient. And how wonderfully the Lord is full of mercy. He was patient with even Job. And he gives everything back to, to Job that he had before. God is good. The Lord is full of mercy and tender kindness. Look at those examples. And now, quickly, because we have to wind up, what does this all mean for us? What significant is this passage, which was written to the church shortly after Christ went to heaven? What does it have to do with you and me? Take those prophets, take Job, Take the word of God, which says Christ is coming soon. And God will execute judgment. And he will vindicate his people. What significance? Be ye also patient. May that crisis in your life cause you, drive you, Closer to the Lord. Think a moment of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Lest he get too proud because he had these wonderful revelations of the Lord. He is a thorn in the flesh. He prays about that thorn in the flesh that it will be taken away. He could probably do a lot more, he thinks, if he doesn't have the thorn in the flesh. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for when you are weak, then am I strong. In other words, in your life, 
Don't rely upon your circumstances to make you happy. Don't wait for other people to somehow make your life important. But in your trials, in your circumstances, and even those people that are accusing you of this or that, look away from yourself to him who says he is a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46. Very present help. And all these things that are taking place in your life are given by God in order to shape us, to knock off the hard corners, to prepare us for our place in glory. Just like the farmer patiently waits for God to give the rain and the sunshine so the crops can grow like they are right now, be patient in your life. God isn't done with you yet. Not until he finally takes you home. Receive whatever God gives you and me in patience and obedience. Because God is directing it all for our good. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. I exhort you as an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Increase your trust. Number two, a comforting hope. Psalm 30, verse 5, which I quoted earlier, weeping endureth for a night, joy cometh in the morning. Christ is coming. Be patient in affliction because the Lord is coming. And how beautifully that theme comes throughout the Bible. Philippians 3, verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Titus 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope isn't merely that when Jesus comes for us, our trials and our troubles will be done, that there will be no more tears, but it is especially that we will reign with Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. We'll be with him. That's what heaven is all about. And yes, we look forward to the judgment day. You notice that? I said that, boys and girls, we look forward to the judgment day because our sins will not be mentioned. Our sins are washed away, removed from us, and will not be held against us. So you say, well, what's the judgment day going to be for us? Our judgment is going to be about our works, good works that God has prepared beforehand for us and enables us to do. The judgment there will look at those works and we will be rewarded by God according to them. What a hope. What a hope. You can look forward to the judgment. They don't be afraid of it because Christ took all our sins away. And it is thirdly a purifying hope. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he who has this hope of 
Christ coming again, purifies himself even as he is pure. Do you see how that fits with the way we react? What genuine faith is all about? Not getting angry with God, not showing anger and retaliating at those who oppress us. We deal with it in patience, and we want to fight those sins of anger or bitterness or self-pity. Trust in the Lord. Not disappointment, not anger, not jealousy, not envy, not bitterness. Strengthened. Strengthened in our faith. Strengthened in steadfastness. Why? Because as we read in James 5, verse 8, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Oh, beloved, whatever difficulties, whatever trials, whatever temptations you are going through, may you hear from God's word here the comfort, the hope, the patience. Christ is coming. You're not alone in those trials. Christ is there sustaining you by his word and spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, we stand amazed at thy promises. How comforting is thy word. Yes, thou knowest our trials. We know, thou knowest the accusations thrown against us many different times, the difficulties, the sorrows. Work in us by thy spirit, through the word preached this morning again, to comfort our hearts, to still our hearts, and to look forward in hope. Christ knows all we go through. Christ sustains us in it, and Christ will reward us. In his name we pray, amen.